0: You're
1: listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. Royce Lewis is rolling, top prospects are coming, and the injuries keep finding a way to affect us even this late into the season. In this episode, we'll go over all of the news and notes since the last podcast, highlight the good and bad performances from the past week, give you all some hitter and pitcher streamers for the upcoming week, and later on, we'll be joined by Nate Schwartz to talk about his upcoming article, Unlocking the Ace, Gavin Williams' Elite Potential. However, before we get into all of that, John, how are you doing? Are you in any fantasy baseball playoffs in your leagues?
1: Yeah, I am currently in the championship championship of my home league. So uh, yeah, that's uh, just sweating that the past couple weeks. weeks. Um, and it's been a tight one. We're currently tied 6-6. Um, I am facing the number one seed, so I have to win 7-5 in categories in order to uh, get the win there. It's nice because this is actually my first time that I've managed to get, you know, this far into the playoffs in this home league. I've been in it for three years only. So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely fun to be in that championship mode, trying to make some, vital last minute moves to to get any edge possible. I will talk about some of the players this week that shattered my fantasy dreams. So you know <laughs> there is that. But um uh, yeah, no full in full in the swing of that. And I think I'm in the playoffs in another one of my leagues. Uh I think I'm fourth place in in that one. So I think I'm I'm in the playoffs starting next week i think uh for that that baseball league but i'm not i'm not paying as much attention to that one as i uh as i probably should be seeing as i think the playoffs start pretty quick that's great though at least you're in the playoffs as long as you make
2: it there it's usually a successful season i am in i guess two playoffs upcoming next week I'll be in two different playoffs, one in my home league, one in another league. My NFBC league, I'm in fourth and third place and up pays out. So I really hope I can make a little surge up the standings there. In TGFBI, I actually made a pretty good surge in my standings. And I went from, I believe, 10th or 9th to 6th. So I went up a little bit. I'm almost top 200 now overall in the grand scheme of things. So that'd be nice if I end on a little positive note there. I'd really like that, but I'm really just sweating my upcoming home league playoffs because that always means the most to all of us. The home league is always the most important to every fantasy analyst unless they're in a big money league. So the home league really matters and I have to do a lot of prep for next week, and that's where it matters. So I'm crossing my fingers. I'm the opposite of you. I'm actually the one seed going in. So all I have to do is win half the points, tie every match, and I have a trophy. So I'm really hoping that sticks. And I know a lot of people in my fantasy league, well, the people that are out of the playoffs, of course, are already in fantasy football mode. They are all fully prepping for fantasy football. I believe games started today, didn't they?
1: Yeah, so the first game of the season was today. Uh, recording this on Thursday so Lions Chiefs Chiefs of course being the defending uh, world champions of the National Football League of America Um, so uh, (laughs) yeah the the Lions did somehow squeak out a winner 21-20 over the Chiefs obviously this is not a football podcast but um, yeah fantasy football full in the stretch I'm a full-on degenerate so you know fantasy football season is, is starting for me fantasy hockey season's about to start as well in a couple weeks so a lot of fantasy sports, even though baseball is uh is kind of, you know, entering the fun part of the season, obviously with the playoffs. But yeah, football is just starting. Um, and it is kind of nice. Uh I mean, you and I, you know, we're part of the Pitcher list staff, so we, we both have access to Pitcherless Plus. Yep. Um, but uh with Pitcherless Plus, that, that doesn't also that's not just for baseball, it is for football. There we do technically have a football site, QB list. Um, and being a PL pro or PL Plus member basically gives us access to the the qb list discord which is nice you know just in case you're trying to figure out who to start um you know if if, if you just got randomly signed up into a work league and you just need like help unlike like who do i play right uh and i know nothing about football it's it's kind of a fun resource that that uh that you could use and uh take advantage of as a pitchless plus member
2: oh wow yeah that's really good i'm not a big fantasy football guy at all so i know nothing about it so if i do happen to ease my way into a league at some point. I'm definitely going to use that. I didn't realize we had that resource lying around. So that's fantastic. So yeah, if anyone is a Pitcherless Plus or Pitcherless Pro member, you have access to the Pitcherless Discord, which includes the QB list. So really cool there. Make sure you check that out if you are in a fantasy football league. But we have to move on to fantasy baseball talk because this is This Week's in fantasy baseball. But before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at This Week PL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at This Week at gmail.com. It's late into the season, and we haven't gotten many emails to that email. But if you have been helped by us at any point in the season, if you're a listener to this podcast and you like what you heard, or if you think we can improve on anything, please send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. We want to know that we're helping all of you and we'd like the positive feedback. And lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and please leave a five-star review. If you enjoy listening to us, we would greatly appreciate it. Now, moving on to the MLB news since our last podcast, which Last week, we didn't have a podcast, if you didn't notice. We didn't have one because John and I were both very busy, so we apologize for that, but we are ready to go for this one. So, the news since our last podcast, we start with Julio Urias of the Dodgers. He was arrested and charged with felony domestic violence late Sunday night. Urias is a repeat offender as he served a 20-game suspension for domestic violence back in 2019. Major League Baseball placed Urias on administrative leave on Wednesday and could be facing a longer ban in the wake of his arrest. Urias is an impending free agent after the season, and hopefully he won't be pitching in the majors after this because what he's done is just inexcusable. So goodbye, Julio Urias. Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers underwent Tommy John surgery on Friday. After being moved to the 60-day IL on Sunday, Gonsolin was ruled out for the remainder of the season, and now, because of the Tommy John surgery, he'll most likely miss the entirety of the 2024 season as well. J.D. Martinez of the Dodgers will begin a minor league rehab assignment with AAA Oklahoma City on Sunday, and is expected to return to the Dodgers on September 8th against the Nationals. He's been out with left groin tightness. Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins was placed on the 15-day IL on Wednesday, retroactive to September 4th, with a right forearm flexor strain. This kind of came out of nowhere, but not really because in the last three seasons, Alcantara has piled up 619 innings in 93 starts, so it kind of makes sense. According to Craig Mish of the Miami Herald, Sandy informed the Marlins after his start against the Nationals that he was experiencing some discomfort in his pitching arm. He's currently undergoing tests, and we'll see if he's able to return when eligible on September 19th. This one hurts me a lot because at the deadline in one of my leagues, I traded for Sandy, and he's been pretty good for the whole second half. And now I don't have him for the playoffs, so kind of brutal there for me. Has that happened to you at all so far, John, where you have a player and
1: you need him for the playoffs and he's injured? Uh, I mean... I'll be honest. I got a little lucky in terms of picking up Adelis Garcia. He was just randomly dropped in in my league, uh, so I picked him up, uh, and then he proceeded to go one for nine, and then you know run into a wall, and and now he's on the IL. So that's kind of rough. Um, I mean, having Otani get hurt basically, yeah, ouch. really sucked because I I more or less you know lost my best pitcher right basically for yep the for the playoffs and then now that he has this oblique injury um which we'll talk about a little bit um uh, yeah he hasn't played for four games in my two-week championship playoff which is which is huge that's basically you know 25 of the games right there just gone from probably my best hitter so those two are the kind of the, the ones that are standing out to me right now yeah otani and garcia
2: ouch that's really bad especially for the playoff run that's really unfortunate i feel bad for you i have joe musgrove And Sandy Alcantara, those are the two big ones that I lost for my home league at least. So Mm -hmm. not fun, not as big as Otani and Garcia, so I feel very bad for you. That's not fun. Jorge Soler of the Marlins was placed on the 10-day IL on Wednesday, September 6th with a right oblique strain. He apparently suffered the oblique strain on Tuesday in his first game back from a five-game absence due to right hip tightness. Obliques are usually four to six weeks, so Solaire could be done for the rest of the season, but we've seen some minor oblique strains only result in a one to two-week absence as early as this season where Altuve went out with an oblique strain, and I believe he only missed two weeks. So we don't know about Soler's status, but usually obliques take four to six weeks to heal, so... Keep an eye on Soler and maybe he'll be back by the end of the season. Matt McClain of the Reds was placed on the 10-day IL on Monday, August 28th with a right oblique strain. Reds manager David Bell said on Sunday that McClain will be out for another two to three weeks. Although he might not be back for fantasy playoffs, the Reds aren't dismissing the possibility of McClain playing again before the end of the season. Graham Ashcraft of the Reds was placed on the 15-day IL on Saturday, September 2nd with a stress reaction in his right big toe. Brutal because Ashcraft was really starting to catch his stride, so unfortunate to see him hit the IL. Hunter Renfro of the Reds has missed two straight games due to left hamstring tightness. Hunter Green of the Reds was placed on the COVID-19 IL on Friday, September 1st, and is set to return and start this Sunday against the Cardinals. Lots of Reds news there. Four people out. Wow. Shohei Ohtani of the Angels, as we said before, is currently day-to-day with an oblique injury. While taking some swings in the batting cage prior to their game against the Orioles, Ohtani seemed to have aggravated his oblique. Tests showed just a tiny bit of inflammation, so keep an eye on Ohtani's status moving forward as a batter. He's missed four straight games so far due to this injury, so hopefully he doesn't have to land on the IL. Bo Bichette of the Blue Jays could return from the 10-day IL next Friday when first eligible. He's missed nearly a week with a strained right quadriceps. Matt Chapman of the Blue Jays is still waiting for the swelling and inflammation in his right middle finger to go down before ramping up baseball activities. He's been on the 10-day IL with a sprain in that aforementioned right middle finger. Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks left Wednesday's game against the Rockies after being hit by a pitch on the wrist. He was actually hit by a pitch twice in that game, but the second one that hit him on the wrist was the one that took him out. X-rays came back negative, and he was diagnosed with a right wrist contusion. Carroll was back in the lineup on Thursday and leading off, so it looks like a bullet was dodged for the future NL Rookie of the Year. Adolis Garcia of the Rangers was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday, September 7th, with a right patellar tendon strain. Garcia came down awkwardly after leaping at the wall in an effort to rob a home run by Michael Brantley on Wednesday, and he'll now be sidelined for at least the next 10 days. The Rangers will continue to run tests on Garcia, but for now they are optimistic that he will be able to return before the end of the season, which doesn't do us any good as fantasy managers, right, John? That's got to hurt. Yeah, it's
1: it's like one of those things where it's like, well, I'm glad he's not like that hurt, but it's just like, but then he doesn't start for me. <laughs> yeah, why now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Couldn't that happen like
2: two weeks ago? Come on, man. Right, yeah. Lane Thomas of the Nationals has missed two straight games due to back discomfort. He had an MRI and it only showed inflammation, so he could possibly be back in the lineup this weekend. Alex Verdugo of the Red Sox has missed three straight games due to left hamstring tightness. Matt Manning of the Tigers, this is brutal, suffered a fractured right foot during Wednesday's game against the Yankees after a 119 mile per hour ground ball off the bat of Giancarlo Stanton struck his right foot. Manning will miss the remainder of the season and already missed a significant amount of time at the beginning of this year with a fracture in the same foot. The good news is that he reportedly injured a different part of his foot this time around and not the same part, which isn't great news, but at least it's not the same injury. But still, horrible luck for the kid. He was pitching extremely well as of late too. I was considering using him for my playoffs next week because he has two great matchups and now he's out for the whole season. I feel really bad for him. That's just... Super unlucky. Hopefully, Matt Manning has a speedy recovery. Riley Green of the Tigers was placed on the 10-day IL on Saturday, September 2nd with right elbow inflammation. He sustained the injury after making a diving catch on Friday. He'll be shut down for now and will undergo an MRI within the week. Alex Cobb of the Giants is not listed among the Giants scheduled starters for their weekend series against the Rockies due to a left hip impingement that he's been dealing with since mid-June. I personally think it's to buy him some more time after throwing 131 pitches against the Reds where he took a no-hitter to the very last out. It clearly affected him in his start against the Padres this time around, and I think they're just electing to give him more rest, which completely makes sense. Felix Bautista of the Orioles had an MRI on his injured right elbow on Sunday. The Orioles will wait for the inflammation to subside before a decision is made on his next steps. He was placed on the 15-day IL on August 26th with what the Orioles described as a UCL injury, which just can't be good. That's probably Tommy John. We don't know, but I have to guess that we probably lose Bautista. And John, why does it feel that every time we have an elite top reliever where it's undisputed the best reliever, best closer in the game, why do we lose them the next season? Edwin Diaz coming into this one, we lost him. Now Felix Bautista going into next season, we lost him. What's going on? I wish I knew,
1: man. It, it just feels like every, every single year, it's like a gut punch on like, who's going to get Tommy John. Right. Yeah.
2: Like,
1: uh, man, Bautista was kind of a revelation, uh, because um, it, it's not like he completely came out of nowhere. Like, I think a lot of Orioles fans are, were pretty okay with him last year, uh, after trading away Jorge Lopez. Um, but yeah, this, I don't think anyone was expecting him to become an elite closer this season. And then now it's, yeah, well, looks like he blew out his arm, which, which really sucks. Um, hopefully it's nothing like too severe, you know, I mean, like, but still like UCL. even if it's just like a minor strain, like those almost always end up becoming Tommy John somewhere down the road.
2: Yeah. It's just not a good sign for the mountain. Hopefully it's okay because I'd love to see him pitch in 2024, but UCL is never good. Mason Miller of the athletics was activated from the 60 day IL on Wednesday after missing four months of action with a UCL sprain in his right elbow. The Athletics stated that he will pitch in relief, most likely coming in for the middle of games and be limited to around 50 pitches. He fired two perfect innings with three strikeouts and got a hold on Wednesday against the Blue Jays. Kyle Wright of the Braves said on Wednesday that he expects to make at least one more minor league rehab start before rejoining the Braves. He's been out since early May with a shoulder strain. Jared Kelenic of the Mariners is nearing a return from the 10-day IL. Mariners president of baseball operations, Jerry DiPoto, said in an interview that Kellenick, being activated from the IL could happen any day now. Kellenick has played in six minor league rehab games and has gone nine for 21 with a homer, a steal, and an eight to four K to walk ratio. He's been out since mid-July with a fractured left foot after kicking something in the dugout. Not smart, Jerry Kellenick. Hopefully you come back stronger. Andrew McCutcheon of the Pirates was placed on the 10-day IL on Wednesday, September 6th, with a partial tear in his left Achilles. He will need to wear a walking boot for the next six weeks, so he will miss the remainder of the season. This could be the last time playing for the Pirates since he hits free agency this offseason, although Kutch has indicated a desire to come back for at least one more year. Hopefully the Pirates do right by him and re-sign him. He loves Pittsburgh because he was actually pretty good for them this season. He actually was a serviceable player, so I hope to see him in a Pirates uniform next season. And for the end of the notes before we get into prospects, Trey Turner of the Phillies was placed on the paternity leave list on Tuesday, September 5th, which coincidentally, John, is nine months to the day of when he signed his $300 million contract with the Phillies. Coincidence? I think not. What a great day nine months ago it was for Trey Turner. He had a pretty full day, if you know what I mean. And then moving on to prospect call-ups, we missed two that happened last week. And those two are pretty big, but we'll start with the one that came up today. Jordan Lawler was called up by the Diamondbacks from Triple A Reno on Thursday, September 7th. Lawler was batting 358, 438, 612 in 80 plate appearances in Triple A. Overall this season, between double and triple A, he's put up an 874 OPS with 20 homers and 36 steals across 105 games. Lawler was selected as the number 6 overall pick in 2021, and the now 21-year-old should get regular starts in the Diamondbacks' infield because they DFA'd Nick Ahmed. I would definitely add him anywhere that I could because he has the chance to be a difference maker down the stretch, so if Jordan Lawler is out there, take a chance on him. Jason Dominguez was called up by the Yankees on Friday, September 1st, and had an impressive Major League debut by going 1-for-4 with a two-run homer. The homer came on the very first pitch of the very first at-bat that he took in the majors, and it was against Justin Verlander. Pretty impressive. Since his call-up, he has now gone 7-for-21 with 3 homers, 5 runs, and 5 RBI, batting 3rd for the Yankees. He should be a must-add at this point. He just seems really, really good. The Martian. And last but not least, Ronnie Mauricio was called up by the Mets on Friday, September 1st, and he too had an impressive major league debut, going two for three against Logan Gilbert and the Mariners. Mauricio got his first major league hit in his first at bat by scorching a 117 mile per hour exit velocity double to right field off of Gilbert. That 117 mile per hour double was the hardest hit ball from a Met this entire season. Really impressive stuff from the youngster. If you're in need of speed at the middle infield position, Mauricio is. Also, someone worth adding. So, all three of these guys are top prospects worth adding to your fantasy team. If you're in the middle of the playoffs, maybe hesitate because you don't know what you're going to get. But if you have some time remaining in the season, all three of these guys can be very good. John, any final notes to wrap up the news and notes
1: section? Uh, Just at this point, right? Like, if, if someone's hurt, just drop them. <laughs> like, yep, yep. That's kind of the main thing, right? Like, there's, there's not much else that... That you need to think about there right? if they're not going to play and in the fantasy baseball playoffs are always super weird right that's when you start to see some of the guys in the waiver wires were like should that guy really be on there but you know sometimes if someone's just not performing you have to make the drastic decisions
2: yeah it's really hard to make those calls obviously if you have an il spot available put those guys on your il but if you have no room left you just have to cut some guys and remember in a redraft league it doesn't matter all that matters is the production right now in your playoffs so Don't be afraid to cut a big name if they're not performing or if they're injured, because that will stop you from winning a league. You have to ride the hot hand sometimes. So make sure you're staying on top of that as a fantasy manager. But we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will get into the weekly performance recap. So stay
0: tuned. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PitcherList and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the app store. Sign up with promo code PitcherList and get your first deposit doubled up to $100.
2: All right, we are back, and it's time for the weekly performance recap. Just a reminder, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the Pitcher List website. The hitter recap and SP Roundup articles are incredible resources to read through to see how players performed each day. But, John, who performed well over the weekend?
1: Yeah, starting on Friday, we have, well, who else? Cody Bellinger. Uh, Two for five with a homer, a run, three RBIs, and a stolen base for the combo meal. Um, obviously we've talked about Cody a lot this season for good reason, because he's been playing out of his mind for the Cubs on this one year deal. Um, obviously it's going to be exciting to see where he goes in drafts next season. Um, I just checked where he is in comparison to, you know, all the other players right now in the majors. He's top 50 in every meaningful fantasy category. So that's average OBP slugging stolen bases, homers, RBIs, runs, um, yeah, he's, he's top 50 in all of those. Uh, that makes him incredibly valuable in fantasy. There's only you know a few other players who um, are producing at that elite of a level in all those categories. I mean, obviously, Acuna is one of them. Uh, Freddie Freeman. Um, Mookie Betts also is, is doing pretty well in all those categories. So, yeah, like he, he's not in the MVP conversation, but when it comes to a fantasy MVP, he's definitely been um, huge this year for your team's uh, on Saturday, I'm going to talk about MJ Melendez of the Kansas City Royals. He went three for three with a double, a homer, a run, two RBIs, and two walks. Uh, for Melendez, you know, basically everyone was kind of expecting him to be the heir apparent to Salvi at the catcher position for the Royals. But he's basically become a full-time outfielder this season. Um, he hasn't really taken a big step offensively either. He's actually below his RBI in home run totals from last year, despite having an equal number of plate appearances. Um, and with Freddie mean kind of taking over the the catcher role, um, or at least the backup catcher role in Kansas City, uh, it does seem like Melendez's ability to contribute as like a you know as a catcher in fantasy is just um, just becoming less and less valuable. Uh, a guy who is also kind of in that catcher eligibility conversation is Mitch Garver of the Texas Rangers. He went four for four with two homers, two runs, and four RBI on Sunday. Uh, Obviously, when Jonah Heim was out for the past couple weeks, Garver was taking advantage uh, of being able to play every single day for the Rangers and was just raking. Unfortunately, health has really never been his friend his, his entire career, as he's never had a season with more than 359 plate appearances. Um, and yeah, he's not going to reach that, that number two this year either. He's only around 257 or uh, 259 plate appearances. That being said though, he's really doing well in ratio. So if you picked him up in the last month, he's obviously been helping your fantasy teams. Um, he's 34 or better in average OBP or slugging. So, um, yeah, just doing a lot of good work in that area. And it'll be interesting to see what the Rangers do next season, um, with Garver and Heim I think they're both under contract. I'm not hundred percent sure about that, but, um, yeah, Garver is probably a solid look at in two catcher leagues if he if he's healthy. Uh, it's just unfortunate that he doesn't have, you know, the playing time guarantee that a lot of other catchers do. And we are going to mention him, but I had to talk about him first because he's a twin. But uh, yeah, Royce Lewis hit his first Grand Slam of the week uh, on Sunday.
2: Yeah, we'll emphasize of the week. Because yeah, yeah. that is a pretty big statement to make, which we'll get into in just a moment. But I'll work backwards here. Mitch Garver has been amazing when healthy. Like, mm-hmm. I think even in a one-catcher league, in 10-team leagues, he's someone that should be rostered, especially right now. I mean, for the fantasy playoffs, he's been definitely right, fantastic. Now. But next season, if he's healthy and he has an everyday job as either the DH or the catcher for the Rangers, he's probably a must-roster for the catcher position because... He hits homers. He gets RBI. He is in a great lineup. I mean, if he's getting every day at bats, I kind of want a lot of exposure to Mitch Garver, especially if it's cheap. So I like Mitch Garver a lot. I think he's having a great season after he came off the injured list. So props to Mitch Garver. Great guy to have on your team right now. MJ Melendez has been great this past I don't know, month, two months. He's had a really good stretch. So it's nice to see that the young catchers are also performing like Francisco Alvarez, MJ Melendez, even Adley Rutschman, who's been just great all season. It's great to see this rookie class of catchers really performing because the catcher position was such a dud for such a long time. I remember just waiting till Yadier Molina fell to me in the 20th round just to be like, whatever, I'll just take whatever I get. I don't really care. So it's great to see catcher kind of getting a resurgence here. And then Cody Bellinger, he is going to get absolutely paid this offseason. I mean, he was literally worth nothing going into this year. He signed a one-year deal with the Cubs at a minimum price. He's going to get like $180 million. He's going to get a monster contract this offseason. And it's great to see. I mean, hey, he had that one amazing rookie year and then just kind of fell off a cliff. And it's great to see him climbing back up that cliff.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm actually kind of curious where he's going to go in drafts because he's. he seems like a borderline second-rounder. Is that maybe a little too ambitious, do you think? I don't think so. I mean, he's got first base
2: and outfield eligibility to start, so that's really helpful in all leagues, too. I think every fantasy site will have him with first base and outfield because he's played a majority of first base when he came back from that injury. And mm-hmm. his main position was outfield going into the season. So I think he'll right. have both eligibilities. I don't think it's too crazy to say end of the second, because if you look at what Freddie Freeman is doing, he's batting over 300. He's got a hundred runs scored. He's got a lot of RBI, 20 plus homers, a good amount of steals. Freeman's up to like, what, 15, 16 steals. He's got a ridiculous number for him this season. I don't know the exact mm-hmm. number off the top of my head, but he's got a lot of steals. Cody Bellinger is very similar. He's batting over 300, 84 runs, 86 RBI, 24 homers, and 19 steals. So if you're telling me my first baseman or outfield with that eligibility change Mm -hmm. is going to give me 25-20 with 100-100, I think it's not too crazy to think start of the third, end of the second.
1: Yeah, especially with that steals at the first base position, because yeah. it's like, yeah, it's just only him or Freddie Freeman that can really contribute in that category. Goldie's yep. kind of really in that conversation anymore. Um, so even if you just view him as a first baseman, yeah, he's not going to be maybe slugging the same amount of numbers as someone like you know Vlad or Pete Alonso, but he's he's helping out in all five categories in a, in a regular five by five league. That that makes him pretty valuable. Yeah, and we've seen him have a lot of success
2: with barreling up the ball and hitting it hard and getting over 40 home runs. So Mm -hmm. if he can just find that again, obviously he's doing a more contact approach at the plate, which is allowing him to bat over 300. But if he kind of gets that power stroke back and he can go like 30-20, yeah, Mm -hmm. he's a second rounder for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, that'll be that'll be obviously really fun to see where he falls in drafts next year. And obviously it'll be cool to see where he ends up too. That might that yeah, might could affect it. You know, might sway some minds and uh ultimately where does he uh yeah, where does he go in drafts and does he stay healthy the entire season? That's that's the other the other big question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Moving on to pitchers then, we're going to start with Max Freed on Friday going up against the Dodgers. Uh, got a win in this one, 7 innings with no one runs, 3 hits, 2 walks and 10 strikeouts. Uh, yeah, I think Freed is officially back. Um, the curveball looked good, his fastball was pretty well located, obviously only giving up 2 walks is nice. Uh, also got a quality start in today's start on Thursday so yeah freed has been has been chugging along looking good after injury I know we talked about him a couple weeks ago as well uh just having some really solid games and yeah he's he's gonna be really reliable for Atlanta down the stretch um, and it's nice to see him uh do well after yeah being out for so long. On Saturday, Javier Assad of the Chicago Cubs went up against Cincinnati in Cincinnati. So it's kind of impressive that he ended up pitching eight innings with no earned runs, giving up seven hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts. Assad's been turning really—he's been turning in really solid performances all month. That we talked about a couple weeks ago as well as a potential streamer pick, I believe. Um, in this one he had eleven whiffs with thirty one percent CSW. Obviously those seven strikeouts are very, very nice. Um but a lot of those that a lot of that CSW percentage also came out called strikes on his sinker. Um his sinker is cutters is his two main pitches that he uses to attack pitchers and both of those were on point on Friday against Cincinnati. So yeah, this is one of those, you know, just keep starting until it breaks sort of pitcher uh pitchers. Um Javier Assad, man, he's been looking really solid, and I, there's no reason for him to uh, basically fall off the wagon in this in this case, and for the for the next three weeks, I guess, of, of performances. And then finally, another rookie in Bobby Miller of the Dodgers going up against Atlanta on Sunday, seven innings with one in run, three hits, only one walk, and five strikeouts. Um, he did have two straight starts where he just missed a quality start going six innings by giving up four runs, so hitting a little bit of a blip um, on his season, uh, but then of course he just came back and pitched this gem against the hottest team in baseball. Um, strikeout numbers can still get better um his slider got zero whiffs in this game on 10 pitches thrown so you know as long as he is able to maybe improve his secondaries over the offseason bobby biller might truly become a monster in that dodgers uh, rotation in this one at least though his four-seamer and sinker were dealing got 11 whiffs between the two pitches alone Um, and yeah it was just a really solid day for him going up against atlanta
2: Yeah, so Max Freed is definitely back. He's someone that's just so consistent and steady that you love when you see him go out there and give you a performance like this against the Dodgers. Nonetheless, seven innings, no earned runs, 10 strikeouts. So great to see that out of Freed. It's kind of what we expect by now. And it's just nice to see him have a better start because the last few were kind of rough. For Javier Assad, he's been fantastic as of late. On Thursday when recording this, he did start against the Diamondbacks, and he didn't have a great start. It wasn't terrible, but he went 5.1. He gave up three earned runs, had seven hits, one walk, and no strikeouts. The no strikeouts is the big bummer there because mm-hmm. he was nearly at a quality start, just a little inefficient. And I think Assad is still worth starting going forward. His schedule's not too bad, and if you have him or can stream him, he's definitely a good option. And then Bobby Miller, yeah, he is awesome. I think he is my second favorite rookie performer from this season, right behind Yuri Mm. Perez. Yeah. So Bobby Miller is going to be great. If you could just hone in on those secondaries, keep them great. Just learn how to pitch a little bit more as he keeps going on in his early career. I think he's going to be an ace in the making. Moving on to Monday, September 4th from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Andrew Abramo. We start with Royce Lewis of the Twins. He went three for four with a homer, two runs, and six RBI. What Royce Lewis has been doing has been otherworldly. It's really not explainable. When he's healthy, the 2017 first overall pick by the Twins is a monster. But the health part has been the problem for Lewis throughout his young career so far. The stretch that he's on right now, though, is ridiculous. Lewis is the fourth player in MLB history and the first rookie to hit three grand slams in a span of eight games. So as John mentioned earlier, he hit a grand slam over the weekend. He also hit a grand slam in the previous week, and he hit a Grand Slam on Monday. So he had three Grand Slams in the span of eight games. The Grand Slam that he hit on Monday was off of Lucas Giolito in the top of the second inning, and it was a nuke. For the season, Lewis has a 316-367-534 slash line with 11 home runs, 28 runs, 39 RBI, and four stolen bases in just 46 games played. He'll definitely be someone that will be interesting to monitor where he's going in drafts next season because he has third base and shortstop eligibility on most platforms. And he just looks so good when he's healthy. But that health kind of worries me a bit. So if he can stay healthy, I don't know, man. He might be a sneaky good value in drafts. Might be the sleeper pick from everybody for the year. But that might creep up his value when everyone starts talking about him in the offseason. Seiya Suzuki of the Cubs went 2-4 for four with a double, a homer, two runs, and three RBI. Seiya has been on fire as of late. He credits the success to a mental break that he took after going 0-3 with two strikeouts on August 4th against the Braves. Suzuki said that by taking a break and working on things with the Cubs hitting coaches, he was able to organize his thoughts really well before his at-bats. The numbers sure back that up as well. Since that mental reset, He's raised his batting average from .249 to .275 and has hit 7 home runs, scored 21 runs, and has 21 RBI. With playoffs approaching for some or currently happening for others, Suzuki has gotten hot at the right time and has been absolutely incredible. He's batting either 5th or 6th in that Cubs lineup, which has been pretty good lately, so Seiya Suzuki's been great. And then just a quick shout out to Corey Seager of the Rangers, who went 3-for-5 with 2 homers, 2 runs, and 3 RBI. He has a 1.065 OPS right now. Can you just imagine if he played a full season? He might have been able to rival Otani for that AL MVP if he was healthy the whole season. So Corey Seager, I mean, John, we were high on him going into this season when he was a third or fourth rounder. Do you
1: think he's going to be a first or second rounder next season? That's going to be tough because, I mean, there's still a lot of high quality players ahead of him uh i do think though he probably goes around the turn uh, yeah that, that first second round turn um he, yeah he just performs at the right at the right level i mean if you think about it, like marcus samian was kind of going mid second round right this year yep. in drafts somewhere, that's somewhere around there yep i could totally see yeah i could totally see Corey seeker going like six to eight spots before him and yep. any shortstop eligibility too right so that's that's the big thing with with cory is that he's got the, the prime position, like, you know, an elite position um, kind of covered with all, you know, not all five categories. Granted, he's not stealing a ton of bases nowadays, but um, four categories at least, right? So really one of those guys who, you know, beyond... You know, Bob kind of elevated his his stock this year. Yep. Trey Turner, who knows where he's going to be. Yep. Um,
2: Bobby Witt, I think is going to be above Corey Bobby Seager. Witt,
1: yeah. Bobby Witt finally has actually kind of you know after this year where people were like, oh yeah, Bobby Witt number one overall. It's like no, that's crazy. Yep. Um, no, I think he's he's cemented himself as a, as probably a first rounder. Easily, yeah. Yeah. I'm really going to enjoy the draft preview podcast we do because it'll be fun to like really think about this in depth of like who's going where and yeah, Corey Seager probably is going around the turn for me right now.
2: Yeah, I think I put Corey Seager kind of in the same category as Jordan Alvarez. Mm, And that's because obviously Jordan has outfield eligibility. So it might be a little bit different because outfield was thin going into this season. And shortstop's a little bit deeper than outfield nowadays. But Corey Seager is a four-category contributor. So is Jordan Alvarez. I think Seager's going to have a higher batting average. I think Jordan's going to have slightly more home runs. But otherwise, I think they're pretty similar profiles where they're both great hitters with a lot of power. So I think that both of them could go in the similar range. So, And if Jordan was a first-round pick this season at the end of the first round or the start of the second, I think Seager's probably right there next to him.
1: Yeah, I think that feels like the right thought process.
2: Yeah, I agree. Moving on to pitchers from Monday from the SP Roundup article Broken in Woo by Nick Pollock. We start with Justin Steele of the Cubs, who went eight innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, two walks, and 12 strikeouts against the Giants. The possible NL Cy Young Award winner continues to stay hot. For the season, Steele has a 2.55 ERA, a 1.14 whip, and 153 strikeouts in 152 innings pitched. The 12 strikeouts in this start were a career high for him, and he's gotten a quality start in 11 of his last 14 starts. As long as his control is on point, He's a legitimate ace, and I think he's going to be a little undervalued going into next season. He doesn't give you some gaudy strikeout numbers, which you would want from like an ace. So I think Steele will be drafted around that SP2 range. But I mean, this is an incredible season. Him and Blake Snell are going head to head for this NL Cy Young. And both of them are kind of weird Cy Young winners, right? Like Blake Snell's got a billion walks and Justin Steele has not a lot of strikeouts. So it's kind of a weird dynamic for the nl cy young i'm going to talk about one of the other nl cy young candidates later and how he kind of fell out of contention after his start this week but and snell seem like the guys going at it right now and this start from steel definitely helps his case next we have cole reagan's of the royals who went six innings pitched no earned runs one hit no walks and seven strikeouts against the white Sox. As Nick says, you can't spell Reagans without A-G-A. Unfortunately, his schedule has shifted a little bit. He was originally lined up to have one of the softest schedules for the remainder of the season. I was telling all of you on the podcast, make sure you keep Reagans. His schedule is a softball, but it shifted a bit and now he gets the Blue Jays on Sunday and then the Astros twice in a row. However, Reagans has been so dominant that I'm still trusting him in these tough matchups. So please bring us home a championship, Cole. You've been amazing. Prove that you're the best Cole in the game, not Garrett Cole. Cole Reagans, the best. He is insane right now. Next, we have Merrill Kelly of the Diamondbacks, who went seven innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, one walk, and 12 strikeouts against the Rockies. I'm glad that Kelly has graduated from his Toby status. He's been incredible. This is the second time he destroyed the Rockies as well. Last time it was in Coors. This time it was away from Coors. I still think that he was being disrespected on Nick's list and could easily be a top 25 pitcher instead of 31 where he was ranked, but that's just grasping at straws. Merrill Kelly's great. And then I have to talk about the worst performance of the day and possibly the week. Lucas Giolito of the Guardians went three innings pitched, nine earned runs, seven hits, three walks, and three strikeouts against the Twins. Giolito's changeup and, well, everything, quite honestly, was horrible in this one. The changeup went 11 for 23 on strikes, and he was throwing his fastball literally right down the middle. Definitely not good. I want to point out that in the last month, Giolito has gone through a divorce, has been traded, DFA'd, claimed, and been on three different teams this season. He's only human, and all of this can affect your performance, so cut him a little slack, don't judge him so much by what's going on right now and how he's pitching, because he was great all season. And then after all of this has happened, a divorce, trades, DFAs, claims, new teams—it's a lot for one person, man. So cut him a little slack. I'm still high on Giolito going into next season. He gets the Angels this weekend, John, and then he gets the Rangers next week and the Orioles after that. So my question is, with playoffs coming and being here, would you be willing to drop Giolito for someone that we're going to be talking about later, like
1: Gavin Williams? I—I I mean the the easy answer is yes yeah right like it's even hard to trust him against the angels because the angels are essentially feeling a quad a team so (laughs) maybe you keep him for that that start but you don't trust him at all against the rangers and the orioles you know i don't care how poor baseball the rangers have been playing the past few weeks um that just seems like a recipe for disaster um the other thing too i mean people probably seen this you know this stat already but julio is like the first pitcher in like a hundred years to give up eight runs on three different teams in the same season yeah that's crazy (laughs) I saw that as well I mean he's just in such a he's got to be in a really bad headspace right now and I can't imagine even that Angels start going particularly well for Chilito
2: I couldn't agree more especially because this was his first start as a Cleveland Guardian and you know in that first start you're juices are pumping, you're hyped up, you're ready to go, you want to put on a good performance and show your team, hey, thanks for claiming me, look what I can do, and then you put up this, and his headspace has got to be horrible, like you said, like it's just not a good look for Giolito for this start, and I agree, I think that maybe you hold on to him for this Angels start, if you're in the playoffs, I wouldn't even dare do that, and I definitely won't start him for the Rangers and Orioles, I actually dropped him in my 10-team home league just after this start, so... Yeah, I cut ties. I think you can replace him with Gavin Williams. Tyler McGill, who's got a pretty good schedule. Aaron Savale, who's just looked better as of late. So, yeah, I think you can cut ties with Lucas Giolito.
1: Yeah, moving on to Tuesday's games then. Uh, We're starting out with Jose Altuve. Um, Yeah, this one was a little... Well, this one sucked for me because (laughs) Altuve is on my opponent's team in my fantasy playoffs. And uh, I was not checking the stats that well and then I saw oh you know the Rangers game it's in the fourth inning and I had Nathan Ivaldi not pitching he was on my IL but he was you know starting that game so I was just curious how he was doing I was like oh that doesn't look good it's a 10-0 deficit in the fourth inning I wonder what happened and then I go check oh yeah Jose Altuve um yeah it turns out he had three homers in the first four innings um (sighs) that sucked (laughs) (laughs) um he of course didn't manage to do any other damage for the rest of the night which was funny so yeah he finished three for five with three homers three runs and three rbis so yeah three solo homers in the first four innings and then just didn't do anything for the next five so um yeah uh that being said though Altuve is having basically one of the best seasons of his career um if you just look at ratios it's it's his best season overall so um good for him especially returning from that you know early injury that he suffered at the world baseball classic and then a couple setbacks along the way um he's been super solid and i think he's fully cemented himself as possibly the second best uh second baseman to be coming off the board next year um maybe he's he's come up maybe he's past Semien. it's hard to say because you know altuve he is a little bit older and he doesn't necessarily have the speed that that Semien has has shown in the past so not sure where that necessarily lands him but he's he's certainly shown that he has not lost any form at all um and he's still a very elite player so yeah, Altuve, uh good for him, bad for my fantasy team. Uh and then Francisco Alvarez of your New York Mets 2 for 3 with a double homer, three runs through RBI, a walk and a stolen base to finish the combo meal. Um yeah, Alvarez is let's just let's just put it kindly, he's struggled all of August. Um he you know, there were some doubts on whether he was going to be starting most games with the season winding down for the Mets and them obviously not in contention for the playoffs and uh yeah he's he's been brutal if you look at his game log it's it's not pretty um so it's nice to see him actually you know come alive in this game uh it was kind of crazy because he's he has 22 23 homers i think or something like that this season you probably know better uh but it's been over a month since his last homer so yeah even though he was known for his power and he really came on board uh when the mets decided to call him over from triple a with with a a lot of homers in in a span of a couple months. Um, Yeah, it's been a pretty dry spell for him the last month.
2: So for Jose Altuve and your comments about him versus Marcus Semyon, I think I might dare to put him above Marcus Semyon. It's also a case for Ozzy Albies, who's been great this season, but he also has injury concern as well, so he might be up there too. But I think I take Altuve over Semyon. Let me tell you something real quick that you probably didn't realize because – I didn't realize it until I just looked right now as well. So Marcus Semyon, so far yeah. this season, has played in 139 games, which is fantastic. He's played pretty much every game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He has 22 home runs, which is fantastic. 104 mm-hmm. runs, 85 RBI, but he has 14 stolen bases. Right. Okay, so okay. 14 steals yep. in 139 games played. Mm-hmm. Jose Altuve has played 69 games this season and has 13 stolen bases. Oh which I didn't realize that, first of all, he's only played 69 games. I knew he had a lot of injuries and he missed like two months to start the season and then missed a little bit more time with an oblique. But I didn't realize he had 13 steals in 69 games. So I I think I thought the speed had dried up. (laughs) No, yeah, his speed is, I think, stronger this season than the last few. I know he didn't steal for a few seasons before, but it looks like he's back on the stealing train since they changed the bases. So I think for me, I take Altuve over Semyon. I mean, they both have great lineups, so that's not an issue. They're both going to score probably the same amount of runs. I think Semyon has an advantage in RBI, but I think Altuve has a little advantage in steals, and I think they hit similar homers. So yeah, I'll take Altuve just for the track record, and I think both of them are a coin flip. I think they go around the same range, and also a crazy stat too. Altuve hit three home runs on Tuesday. Altuve had three homers before the 7, 8, and 9 hitters for the Rangers even had their first at-bat. Yeah. That is actually insane. That's not even yeah, that, real.
1: Yeah, that was kind of... It was a rude, like, welcome back to the league moment for Nathan Evaldi, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, it was not good for him. <laughs> and then Francisco Alvarez, like you said before, yeah, he has 22 home runs for the season now, so he's had a great season for being a rookie catcher, of course. He's had his ups and downs, yeah. didn't homer for a month. I still love him, but the one thing I wanted to mention about him, it's nothing baseball related, but he actually wanted to learn how to do interviews in English, so he asked the on-field reporter Steve Gelbs to host an interview with Alvarez in English and just tell him how he did and give him tips. It was all off-camera and stuff. And then in his next interview, post-game, after this game, actually, he was interviewed and they asked him a question and he answered it in English and he said, see, look, I did it in English and he was really happy and That is awesome. You know how much I love seeing that? Like, kudos to him. English is such a horrible language and it's so hard to learn. And it's great to see stars that don't have English as their main language learn the language and do interviews in that. Like, if Otani starts doing interviews in English and Alvarez does interviews in English and all these amazing players from different backgrounds and all walks of life start doing interviews in English, they're only going to draw more fans to the game. So. I love seeing that. So big kudos to Francisco Alvarez. Keep killing it. Your interview was awesome. You speak great English. I am very proud of you. That's awesome.
1: Nice. Yeah. Moving on to pitchers. Then Um, two guys who are facing off against each other. Thanks to Nick Pollock for the Kershaw patrol uh, article uh, for the SP roundup. We're going to talk about Ken Waldachuk and Chris Bassett who are facing off against each other. Oakland versus Toronto Bassett back at his old grounds. What's going to happen? Um, Two elite pitching performances, really. Uh, Waldachuk went six innings with zero earned runs, four hits, three walks, and three strikeouts. Uh, the main thing for him was his changeup it was was cooking. He had seven whiffs on 21 thrown. Of course, that's a little bit of a uh, not par for the course for Waldachuk. He has not been very good this season. Um, there really isn't much to talk about for Waldachuk, unfortunately. Um, he was you know part of that trade uh, from the Yankees to the A's last season. Um, uh, I believe that was for, uh, was it Frankie Montas? Right. That was I believe that was the trade. It was Frankie Montas, right? Uh, JP Sears and Waldachuk for, um, for Montas. But, uh, he's had a really terrible ERA this season. Uh, the WHIP also is not very good, and uh, I think they're both below like twentieth percentile. I think overall for all pitchers. So yeah, there really is no reason to start Waldachuk unless you're streaming in a deep league. But you know, sometimes he does. Uh, fall into pretty good starts here so um you know if that's something if that's someone you're looking for the oakland a's do have a pretty decent schedule i think for the rest of the season so uh, maybe that's something to to look out for the other pump though was chris bassett of course facing his old team in the oakland a's he went eight innings with one and run seven hits no walks and seven strikeouts um yeah bassett has been really solid this season he's uh doesn't necessarily have elite numbers actually this is his fourth season with a higher era than the previous season um and his third season where his whip has been higher than the previous season so it's not like he's like found something and become an elite pitcher but he's been incredibly steady this season doesn't matter who he's facing he's you know chugging out a really decent start but because he's also facing oakland in this case he chugged out a you know a better than average start right seven strikeouts eight innings is really good um 18 whiffs on the day too, which which led all pitchers. Uh, got 15 called strikes as well, leading to a 34% CSW. Um, main thing for him of all the pitches he throws, obviously there's like eight or nine I think if you look at uh, Statcast or a pitcher list page. <laughs> um, his main thing was that his curveball and his sinker were particularly good, uh, over 30% CSW on both of those pitches alone, and yeah, that was helping him bruise uh, through that Oakland A's lineup. Ken Wall the Chuck,
2: I don't have much to say about because. He's not a mainstay for fantasy. He's been great as of late, so he might be someone that you want to stream in a good matchup. Obviously, he can't stream against his own team, which stinks, but Waldachuk's been very good, and he's been serviceable. He was great in this start against the Blue Jays. And then on the other hand, Chris Bassett, he's been great all season. He's had some really bad blow-up starts from time to time, but outside of those starts, he's went like seven, eight innings and gave up two runs or less in all of them, so... He's been really good. He's been underrated. Chris Bassett's always underrated. He just kind of gets the job done quietly and isn't very flashy. So, yeah, Chris Mm -hmm. Bassett's been pretty good for the fantasy season. Moving on to Wednesday, September 6th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Jim Chatterton, we start with the aforementioned Marcus Semyon of the Rangers. He went 4-for-4 with two home runs, two runs, three RBI, and a stolen base. This was a crazy game for Semyon. Obviously, for several reasons, he went 4-for-4, he hit two homers, he stole a base but the crazy thing is that all four of his hits had a 100 mile per hour exit velocity or higher Semyon has had an extremely productive season leading off for the Rangers he has a slash line of 277 350 463 with 22 homers 104 runs 85 RBI and 14 stolen bases the 350 OBP is actually Semyon's highest since 2019 I'm sure that if you roster him in fantasy you've been very happy and next season, he'll probably go in a similar range that he went this season, somewhere around Altuve and Albies, as one of the top second basemen off the board. And then we have Jose Abreu of the Astros, who went 3-for-5 with two home runs, two runs, and seven RBI. Abreu has been a humongous question mark all season. I think that he's been the most confusing player by far. Going into drafts this season, he was going within the first eight rounds due to his move to the Astros. Well, through April and May, he was slashing 211, 276, 260, with one home run and a 49 WRC+. Since the end of May, he started hitting the ball a bit harder and has made his slash line look at least respectable. I think he's finally starting to heat up and come around, so if you've kept him on your bench or if he's floating out there on your wire, he might be worth using for the final stretch of the season while the Astros continue to fight for a playoff spot. So, Jose Abreu, kind of turning it around, but also a huge question mark.
1: Yeah, uh just going back to Semyon, even though he hasn't had the same year that he had last year, right? Obviously hard to replicate that 30 homer um, uh, performance that he had last season. Um, I I think most people weren't expecting him to reach that. Um, Actually, he didn't get the thirty homer. Sorry. He went 25, 25. That was right. Um, Yeah. He hasn't gotten close to that this season, but he's been more than serviceable as you know, a second baseman on your team. Um, I think, because he's regressed a little bit, that's kind of where I'm with you in putting Altuve over Semyon, uh as well. But yeah, honestly, it's hard to complain about what you're getting from him uh this this year. And then yeah, Abreu, it kind of a weird season for him, right? You mentioned this really tough early season getting dropped in many different places. Um and frankly, you know, well deserved because there were some other guys, Christian Walker, Kof Kof, who um should have been drafted over him and uh were doing much better than than Abreu. I'm honestly more curious how he does next season in Houston. Um, he did sign, I think it was a three-year contract with them, and they don't have any plans to move him off first base as far as we can tell. Um, so if he's able to, you know, find something again next season, uh, maybe he, he's obviously not going to go in the first eight rounds, but maybe he's still kind of worth a pickup in uh, kind of the mid to late rounds next season um, if you have like an open utility spot or you need a corner infielder. Yeah,
2: I think he's kind of on the way out for fantasy relevance. I could see him going in late rounds of your draft, like 16, 17, 18, as like a Josh Bell type where you're like, oh, I'll take either Josh Bell or Jose Abreu, one of those kind of guys to fill my first base position if you missed out on the big field over there. So, yeah, I I think Abreu is kind of relevant, but he's kind of on his way out. I mean, he was a guy that forever was a consistent 30-homer, 100-RBI guy, and now he's kind of just fell off a bit. It's very weird.
1: Yeah, uh, I still remember uh, last year, I think I picked him up in my auction draft kind of expecting that and yeah, he, he did not do particularly well. And I think maybe that should have been the, uh, the sign that maybe he was declining a little bit. But um, yeah, I think this season's been the real sort of proverbial nail in the coffin for at least elite production for the remainder of his career.
2: Yeah, there was a lot of signs showing that Abreu wouldn't be good going into this season. But once again, he left the White Sox after last season and he went to the Astros. So immediately his value goes back up. They're like, oh, he's going to be fixed. He's going to hit the ball hard. Left field is great for him. He's a pull hitter. Easy. Like It was such a good scout of basically like, oh, this guy moved to a great team. He's great. He's in a great lineup. He should be great. And then he kind of just fell off a cliff. So yeah, unfortunate for Jose Abreu. Moving on to pitchers from Wednesday with the SP Roundup article, Lynn and Outburger, which is an amazing title, which, by the way, Lance Lynn, bye-bye if anyone rosters him. Just cut him, please. Just do it. I mean, we've been through this already. I'm not going to serenade him anymore. But once again, that SP Roundup article comes from Nick Pollock. We start with Tyler Glasnow of the Rays. He went six innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, one walk, and 14 strikeouts against the Red Sox. My God, 22 whiffs for the Gallows poll on Wednesday with 14 strikeouts, just pure domination. And the Red Sox aren't a bad offense at all. Glasnow is just that good. The slider went 11 for 30 on whiffs, and he had a 38% CSW for the night. Before I get into the rest of the pitcher highlights for Wednesday, if I told you Glasnow would get to 160 innings next season, John, where would you rank him? I have my answer, but I'll let you go first
1: yeah oh this one's tough because if he pitches 160 right the big thing with class now actually at the beginning of this season was if you looked at just purely stuff metrics um like plv stuff plus you know any of those he was like top five i think um and those were metrics that also included relievers in them so like basically wow. glass was like a top three pitcher when you looked at just purely his stuff, right? Right. But of course the question for Glasnow at the time was are the Rays gonna let him go five? And then of course turns out oh doesn't matter he's hurt. (laughs) Yeah yeah I mean that's kind of the classic glasnow story right he's just kind of hurt a lot. Um so that all being said, if you could guarantee 160 innings for me for Tyler Glasnow, he's a top five pitcher in my mind because he has the best he has some of the best stuff in the league, right? like I, I don't think there's any other reason to not go with Glasnow. um his stuff plus isn't exactly at the same number that it was you know at at the beginning of the season uh, i'm just looking at the numbers right now uh he's probably not on this list cuz he doesn't qualify so i'd have to figure that out but um yeah his it, he's still a really solid pitcher right and there's no if if you can guarantee health for me which would be great yep then yeah to me he's a top five guy like he he's in that conversation for some guy you pick up in the second round or, or third round to me
2: yeah it's so hard because of that but if you're guaranteeing me 160 innings I think he's definitely top 10 I don't know top five but to me it, he's so similar to Spencer Strider so hmm. if I have him as a top five pitcher I kind of have to have Glasnow right like that's just how it works they're so similar in that regard that it kind of makes sense. So I can definitely see top five if he gets to 160 innings. It's just that is the biggest question mark. And that's why we're all so skeptical of Tyler Glasnow. But I thought that was a good exercise to have to be like, hey, if he was actually healthy, where would he go? Because I think if he had like a 200 inning season, he would be the number one SP in all of baseball. So kind yeah. of interesting to think about that.
1: Right. I mean, he's obviously not going to go for like, you know, 14 strikeouts you know, every single no, night. No, of course not. But he had that stuff. He has that stuff. I mean, his K-9 this season, 12.9. sorry uh two seasons ago when he got to 88 innings 12.6 yep it's just it's just he hasn't gone over 100 innings since 2018 yep so yeah like guaranteeing 160 would be great but it's probably going to be more like 110 right yeah and uh can you stomach that in the fourth round and i think I think the answer is no. I
2: agree with that. I'm not going to take someone that I might get 100 innings out of. That's the worst part. And if I miss out, I miss out. Obviously, he's an amazing pitcher. And if he is healthy, then ouch, that hurts me. But if he right. isn't, which he probably won't be, then I kind of stay safe. So that's usually how I play as a fantasy manager, that I would stay away. But if I see one healthy season out of Glasnow, I'm probably going to buy in. And then when I do buy in, he's going to get hurt. So
1: yeah, it's always that I mean, not- twist and turn. Not to extend the conversation too long, but it's kind of the same argument for, for like guys like Kershaw, right? Yep. Um, if you can get 130 innings of Cyan production out of a guy, is that better than 180 out of some guy like uh, Merrill Kelly, who we just talked about, right? Yeah, yeah. A fringe top 30 pitcher. Yep. Um, but will get you a ton of innings. Um, granted, this year he's only at 150, so maybe not the best example. But, yeah, if you could get 100 – 160 innings out of Merrill Kelly, is that better than 120 out of someone like Glasnow or Kershaw?
2: Yeah, that's a great debate. And we had that debate going into the season with DeGrom, right? Like, we knew he was going to only get maybe 120 innings. And we're like, hey, Mm -hmm. would we rather this, or would we rather 180 from Jordan Montgomery? Like, what's the pull there? And we kind of said, okay, we'll knock DeGrom down a little bit. But that's the same thing for Glasnow, all these guys that are injury-prone. So... Very unfortunate, but if he is healthy, he can be one of the best pitchers in baseball. Moving on to the next pitcher, Zach Wheeler of the Phillies went six innings pitched, no earned runs, one hit, two walks, and seven strikeouts against the Padres. I think Wheeler is easily a top six pitcher next season. This year, he's been extremely consistent. He's put together a 3.49 ERA, a 1.05 whip, and 192 strikeouts in 170 innings pitched. Wheeler has collected a quality start in 13 of his last 16 starts, stretching all the way back to June 8th. He's been everything that you want out of an ace, especially this season that has been beyond chaotic. Wheeler is just awesome. Obviously you'd like to see a slightly lower ERA, but in this climate, I'll take whatever Wheeler's giving me right now because he's been incredible. And then also just two shellackings. Spencer Strider of the Braves went 2.2 innings pitched, 6 earned runs, 6 hits, 3 walks, 5 strikeouts against the Cardinals. And Max Scherzer of the Rangers went 3 innings pitched, 7 earned runs, 6 hits, 2 walks, and 4 strikeouts against the Astros. Strider just didn't look good in his start on Wednesday. It was a one-night bland, in my opinion. But like I said earlier, this start definitely hurts his NL Cy Young chances. Like, this kind of takes him out of the running. And as for Scherzer, all of his spin rates were down. Minus 73 on the four-seam fastball, minus 140 on the curveball, minus 199 on the slider, minus 66 on the cutter, and minus 47 on the changeup. Thankfully, the velocity was the same, but the spin rates being down is not good. That means less movement, easy to hit. Not good for Scherzer. Before this start, he couldn't go out for the seventh in his previous start against the Twins because he felt some tightness in his forearm. So maybe that affected him here and affects him for the rest of the season. I'm not sure, but I'm personally worried about Scherzer. That's just not good. The spin rates, not looking good for him.
1: Yeah, the. I mean, I think I was I was listening to a Twins podcast a couple days ago, and they were kind of joking that Scherzer brought a little bit of that Mets. Uh, <laughs> the the Mets problems over to Texas a little bit yeah so, a little bit you're right um but I mean I mean obviously he was pretty solid his first couple starts there I think but yeah yeah it just hasn't been pretty for him recently um and yeah it's it's kind of unfortunate I and mean, you hate to see some guy like Scherzer like finally kind of succumb to age a little bit um maybe he finds something over the off season where he's like okay I have lo- lower spin rates but what can I do you know with with the location or something like that a little bit better so, um, yeah, hopefully it works out for, for Scherzer come, going to next season because he is he's committed to at least pitching for the Rangers next year. So um, we'll see how that goes. And then for Strider, it's an interesting conversation because, yeah, he does now have a higher ERA than Gallen, Steele, and Wheeler. Um, his war is, you know, by Fangraph's judgment, which uses um, FIP in its calculation, he's still second in the National League. Okay. He still has... Gaudy K. 9 numbers 13.9 versus the next highest, which is Zach Wheeler at ten point two. Um yeah, it's 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 an interesting conversation here. Zach Wheeler kind of I don't know. Maybe maybe Zach Allen is actually kind of the front runner for, for Cy Young at this point in the na- in the National League. But I wouldn't count Strider out just yet. Um the ratios don't look great compared to everyone else, that's for sure. Um but this that strikeout number man it's 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 still really high compared to everyone else and um i don't know if that's what pushes him over the brink but it at least helps make up for maybe the blip in his era and his whip
2: i agree with that i think snell steel gallon wheeler all those kind of guys are just a little bit overall more well-rounded spencer mm-hmm. Strider's 250ks in 162 innings pitched is nuts i mean it's insane it's it's stuff you really never see but yeah. a 3.83 ERA, I can't see them giving the Cy Young to a near 4 ERA. I mean, despite Man, despite the most wins, despite the strikeout numbers, despite the war, I mean, if he does win, let's say he finishes with a 3.8 ERA, and he yeah. finishes with 280 Ks and 180 innings pitched,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and he wins the Cy Young. I think that's a turning point, kind of like when DeGrom won the Cy Young with under 10 wins and whatnot. Sure, I think if Strider wins at this time, then we're truly going off of the sabermetric kind of things with K per nine and all of the war numbers and whatnot. So if he does win, I think it's a change in the revolution of how he picks Cy Young's.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, wins is kind of a terrible stat to use, but he does have more wins than gallon.
2: Yep. Um, He does. He,
1: he has the most wins in the NL. I mean, we'll just, we'll just say that for sure. Um, tied with Justin Steele. That is. Yeah. Um, and in terms of innings pitched, I mean, he's still, he's not, you know, top 10 or anything, right? Like Zach Wheeler, Zach Allen, both are above him in terms of um, innings pitched. So they, they have the edge there in terms of, you know, longevity and uh, and being consistent for an entire season. Um, but it's kind of also what makes me hesitate about Blake Snell because he's only had 155 innings this, this season. So, yeah, yep. Yeah, that year that is incredibly low at 2.5, but, you know, it kind of came with uh, – just just not great numbers anyways moving on to thursday um little short slate of games but still plenty of performances that we can talk about uh we're gonna start with the dodgers specifically chris taylor the utility man uh three for five with a homer one run and five rbi Uh, honestly he has not been particularly great this season but that's chris taylor for you i mean it's not like you expect too much out of him every season He's just going to be, you know, maybe a solid guy that you can insert a week here, a week there if the matchups are good. Um, But because he doesn't play every single day, it's really tough to want to have him on your roster unless you're in the deepest of leagues. Um, But yeah, he still is able to hit homers and get get some counting stats at the right time. Uh, Contributing five RBI when the Dodgers went 10-0 over the Miami Marlins. The second here that I want to talk about, though, I was a little frustrated about. Um, I was thinking about picking up some guys on the waiver wire to stream for today since I didn't have a lot of guys going. I was thinking between, okay, Spencer Torkelson, thinking Eddie Rosario, Seiya Suzuki. Obviously, all those guys have been having really solid uh, months so far. Um, But I ended up going with Eddie and with uh, Seiya Suzuki uh, kind of just because the ratios were a little bit nicer and Spencer Torkelson. I mean, it was a bad sort of maybe logical estimation. But I was like, okay, he's a righty at Yankee Stadium. Um, he's facing off against Carlos Rodon. Uh, it maybe just not the best matchup. Well, of course, he decides to prove me wrong by going two for four with two homers, two runs, four RBIs, and a walk. One of those homers, of course, off Carlos Rodon in the first inning. So just classic uh, fantasy uh, karma just biting me back in the butt. Um, he's been really solid so far in this season. August 1st, uh, hit 10 homers. Of course, because he's on the Tigers, he's only managed to get 14 RBI because this team just can't get other batters on base. Um, but yeah, I think he's really turned it around this season. Uh, He was coming into the season, you know, obviously his rookie year just wasn't very good, and the start of the season wasn't very good either. Uh, But now that he's kind of turned around in August, um, I think there's a little bit more hope for next season, and potentially uh, he climbs up in drafts a little bit. I don't think he's a top-12 first baseman yet. Um, I think he's right on the fringe of that, so maybe maybe there's an argument that he can still be a starting-caliber first baseman on some teams, but... Um, he's still to me on that fringe of you know starting first baseman versus starting corner infielder Um, and it'll be interesting to see where he goes in drafts um, next season
2: yeah so for chris taylor the dodgers are just a factory of making guys that are just at least decent and chris taylor had a great game this time he's really not that usable for fantasy he doesn't get full-time playing time so like you mentioned he's really only rosterable in deeper leagues so Unless you're in a NL only league or 15 team or deeper, Chris Taylor might be relevant. But otherwise than that, not really. And then Spencer Torkelson, he is working his way up to being a full-time starter in 10 team leagues in a one first baseman slot because he has been incredible. He's been really, really good. Like you mentioned, he's hit 10 homers since August 1st. And that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot in a month and a few days. So Torkelson's been on fire. It's great to see that Torkelson is on the right track because he wasn't even drafted this season because no one really cared about him after the first season he came up and struggled mightily. And that's why you can't really give up on these prospects when they don't hit immediately because not everyone is like Chris Bryant when they come up or Acuna or Soto when they come up. It's crazy how much we actually expect from rookies nowadays because we just expect them to be the best thing ever right away and sometimes it takes a little bit of time especially with these young kids they're all super young so we got to give them a little bit more time
1: yeah and uh it'll be it'll be cool to see where uh torkelson what he becomes i don't know if next season we're even talking about him next season in terms of being an elite contributor but right. you know he's, he's got plenty of time for his his big league career to to grow like you mentioned oh absolutely Moving on to pitchers, then um, starting with Luis Castillo of the Seattle Mariners, uh, he pitched six innings with four hits, no earned runs, four walks, each, and eight strikeouts. Overall, thirty percent CSW. Obviously, you don't love those four walks. Um, he hasn't had too much command issues this year though, which is nice. He's actually top thirty in ERA, WHIP, K percentage, and csw and when you even look at his walk percentage he's actually 33rd which is improved by a ton for castillo he's actually down over one percent compared to last year he's actually been on a three-year trend of decreasing his walk rate which is really good to see also yeah uh the command don't love that four walks but everything else looked really solid getting a bunch of called strikes as well in this one and then Ryan Pepio of the Los Angeles Dodgers, kind of one of those other rookie pitchers that we were hoping to make a big break this season, but um, just hasn't because of team context. He went seven innings with one hit, no earned runs, and three strikeouts. Uh, Pepio has spent the last three seasons in AAA, so it was kind of just waiting for him to make the call-up. He's 25, so he's not necessarily a super young prospect either. He has made two starts this season. Both were pretty solid, including this one. He's limited his whip incredibly well. He's got some really good strikeout numbers as well. Maybe not necessarily in his starts. In both his starts, actually, funny enough, he had three strikeouts, but he did pitch in relief for the Dodgers a couple times as well. um five strikeouts in his first outing and then six strikeouts in his next outing. So really good numbers overall. Um, it's just funny that he hasn't necessarily gotten the strikeouts when he has been starting um, on the bump. So time will tell if he becomes something legit. Uh, obviously his teammate Bobby Miller has made some big strides as a rookie this season. Pepio I think has some really solid stuff. I mean, I'm not a, you know, big dynasty guy, so I know the names, but I don't exactly do the scouting. So it's hard to say whether Pepio's actually got some elite metrics, but I guess if you look, you know, at Fangraphs, I think they kind of like what he's doing there. Fangraphs rates his stuff um He's got a good fastball, good changeup, but the slider is below average. The command is kind of a little bit below average. So uh it's hard to say if he's like, you know, really gonna turn into an elite pitcher. But you know, number three, number four guy on the Dodgers is really good and uh, that's that will still get you wins in a lot of leagues. And uh, yeah, Pepio, definitely one of those guys to think about in traps next season. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be drafted, um, but uh, still some solid numbers from him regardless this season, and hopefully he finishes out the season uh, well for the Dodgers and becomes a valuable contributor for them, uh, potentially in the playoffs. Luis Castillo is an absolute
2: stud. He is incredible. It's great to see him flourish. He's been probably the third best starter all season i think he's sp3 in my personal rankings right now like ah you know what let's move him to four it goes cole reagan's one then (laughs) (laughs) no so for real he's three i would say it's garrett cole spencer strider and whatever combo you want one two and then Luis castillo and then like kevin gosman zach wheeler that kind of group so yeah, Luis Castillo has just been consistently awesome. He's had a few clunkers here and there, but every pitcher this season has, so it's not a surprise, but Castillo's just been absolutely dominant. So, it's great to see him go 6 innings pitched, 8 Ks in this one over the Rays. The four walks is a little uncharacteristic like of him. So, we'll give him a pass on that, but hopefully he can keep the walks in control the next 2 weeks where I have him in the playoffs. And then Ryan Pepio, he's someone that is taking Julio Urías's spot. And it's great to see him actually have success. Seven innings pitched, no one runs, three Ks. It's pretty good. So he might be someone that you want to have right now as an upside play, but we're kind of running out of time. The Dodgers schedule isn't the greatest. So maybe you kind of hold yourself back from him and maybe think about it next season. Because like you said, time will tell if he becomes worth something. But we'll see because I think Pepio has the ability to be kind of decent and serviceable for fantasy. But now we will take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Nate Schwartz to talk about his upcoming article titled Unlocking the Ace Gavin Williams' Elite Potential. We'll be back after this. We're back, and I'm joined by pitcherless writer Nate Schwartz to talk about his upcoming article titled Unlocking the Ace Gavin Williams' Elite Potential. Nate, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Prepping for the fantasy playoffs, hoping everything goes smoothly, slowly climbing up in Roto Leagues, feeling good about it. How's your whole fantasy situation going?
3: Going pretty well uh, in the thick of my playoffs, uh, which are going uh, not as well as I had hoped, uh, but at least better than uh, my St. Louis Cardinals uh, playoff hopes. So, you know, I'll take what I can get in that regard.
2: I'm a New York Mets fan, so I'm in the same boat as you. We both had pretty disappointing seasons, so we'll just have to take that and hope that we have better luck in the fantasy playoffs. But before we get into your upcoming article, let the people know a little bit more about yourself. You've already said that you're a Cardinals fan, of course, but what do you do over at PitcherList and what's your fantasy background?
3: So, yeah, I'm uh, Nate Schwartz. You can find me uh, on Twitter at underscore uh, Nate Schwartz. Um, I'm on the Going Deep team at PitcherList, mostly doing a lot of pitcher research. Um, I also do some of the uh, MLB morning news, mostly on Mondays. Uh, And you obviously can find me in the PitcherList Discord uh, talking about uh, any and all uh, baseball-related things. Love that.
2: So... Your upcoming article is all about Gavin Williams, but before we jump into talking about Gavin Williams, this entire rookie pitching class has been fairly impressive so far. Other than Gavin, who else of the rookie pitchers has really stood out to you this season as valuable fantasy assets for next year?
3: So I think the one that stands out here the most is Yuri Perez, um, with less of a restriction on his uh, inning count next year. I think he has the potential to be uh, potentially top 20, top 15 starting pitcher and can maybe even dethrone uh, Sandy Alcantara as uh, the Marlins' number one pitcher. Uh, He just has so much upside. Uh, Another guy who has surprised me this year was Kodai Senga, who's really been phenomenal down the stretch. And I think he is capable of being a solid, you know, 25 to 30 starting pitcher in 2024 and I can go on I love uh, how loaded this uh, rookie pitching class is Uh, but the other guys I'll mention who I'm personally intrigued in for next year is uh, Bobby Miller Taj Bradley and of course the uh, man of the hour Cole Reagans
2: yeah well oh my god we don't have to get into Cole Reagans right now I might start sweating because I love him he is incredible but I agree this rookie pitcher class just seems different than in years past where we might have had one guy or two guys come up where it was like wow that guy's pretty sick like for instance Steven Strasburg when he came up he was the like only good starting pitching prospect and he panned out and worked but it seems like a lot of these guys are coming out of the woodworks and just being great right off the bat like Tanner bybee has been really good Bobby Miller Yuri Perez that you mentioned there's a lot of good talent here with this rookie class and I also think that Yuri Perez is going to be phenomenal. I think he's going to be a top 15 pitcher. And it's scary to think where he's going to go in drafts next season. (laughs) I am not looking forward to paying that price. I'm probably not going to pay that price because innings concerned. I'd rather have someone that goes a little bit deeper. But yeah, Yuri Perez looks phenomenal. There's just so many good pitchers. And Gavin Williams is one of those guys. I'm very excited about him as well, even though we are excited about yuri and all these other guys gavin williams is really really good but let's break down williams's pitches starting with the fastball he uses his over 50 percent of the time and can touch the high 90s i believe i saw him hit 97 98 how do williams's physical traits help make this fastball a legit pitch despite the fact that the pitch itself doesn't have any elite shape characteristics
3: so yeah the pitch itself um just grades out at a 116 stuff plus, which is very good, but not in the elite of the elite. Um, and as you said, you've seen him touch 97 uh, in his recent start uh, on Wednesday against the Twins. He went as high as 99. Wow. Um, but he gets a lot of his productivity on the fastball from his elite extension. Um, his extension is seven and a half feet, which among starting pitchers is tied for first with uh, Logan Gilbert and Tyler Glasnow. Um, I don't think I realized this when I first watched him because he isn't as lanky as the other uh, two pitchers who really kind of make it on the mound seem like they are as tall as they are. Um, And Gavin Williams is just a bigger guy, but at seven and a half feet, he's allowing his 95, 96 mile an hour fastball to get on hitters even quicker than they're seeing from anyone else. Additionally, he's locating it very well. He throws the pitch for a lot of strikes at a, uh, 66% 66% uh, strike rate, which is above average, but he keeps it up pretty well, which allows hitters to struggle to actually put it in play and do damage with it, as well as elevate it above the zone and get some whiffs.
2: Yeah, I think that's his bread and butter, right? To be able to locate that 97 on average mile per hour fastball high in the zone and be able to kind of execute somewhat of a Blake Snell blueprint. He doesn't have that elite curveball or anything, but that slider is something that he can play off of to make that fastball better. And it's incredible to see him use that fastball because he's a pretty big dude. I didn't think he was as big as he was when I watched him on the mound. He's a stocky guy that's tall. And like you said, he doesn't have the same extension lankiness wise as those other guys do like a Tyler Glasnow, but his fastball is pretty lethal. I don't think I've seen many fastballs that look like that from someone that looks like him you know what i mean
3: yeah um especially in uh his back-to-back games against the blue jays and rays where he struck out uh 12 and 10. um there were moments where he was just throwing the fastball where he wanted it and was just overpowering every hitter in both of those both terrifying lineups um and that really kind of opens the eyes of what can he really do with his potential
2: Yeah, I am excited about that. And just in general, the Cleveland Guardians' pitchers, that whole staff, they seem to have found like a fountain where they are just good pitchers. They just call someone up and they're great. So I'm always excited when the Cleveland Guardians have a hyped prospect. But as I mentioned before, Williams' main secondary is his slider, which he mainly uses against right-handed hitters, but also can do damage against lefties. You mentioned it's not a great pitch in your article looking at Stuff Plus or PLV. So why does he use it so often and what makes it good?
3: So uh, to answer your first question, he uses it so often because he has the most command of it of any of his other secondaries, his sliders, his curveballers, changeup. Um, he's able to put it in the zone when needed. And as a nice complement to a high 90s fastball in 85 mile an hour slider on average, Um is a good change of pace and when he's putting it in the zone more than most pitchers do, um, he's forcing hitters to attack it when oftentimes they're waiting for the fastball to attack. Williams knows guys aren't gonna hit his fastball, so he says, Hey, hit the slider. And no one's really doing that. Uh batters this year have just a 152 average against uh the slider, which is in the 91st percentile, and the expected stats back that up two to the most part, with just a 182 expected average. Um When he's not throwing it in the zone, like his fastball, he's also able to get whiffs with it. Um, It has a 33.5 CSW percentage, and that's interestingly a pretty even mix between a 16% swinging strike rate and a 17% called strike rate. So it's not like uh, Williams is only relying on called strikes with the pitch or only getting whiffs and not throwing into the zone at all. He's throwing it for strikes and is getting both whiffs and called strikes, which really shows that he can command the pitch and it can be an effective weapon uh, for whenever he needs it to play off the fastball.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point because he definitely needs to have those both working to see success because if the fastball isn't working, he could rely a little bit more on the slider to try to generate some of those whiffs. But if he has both of them, He isn't like one of these pitchers, obviously. It's unfair to comp him to a Spencer Strider or Hunter Green or Christian Javier. But if he's a fastball slider guy, we've seen people have success with that mix in the past. And as I said before, he really needs an elite curveball to execute like a Blake Snell blueprint or just to be able to succeed with not having one of those two pitches. But the third pitch in his three-pitch mix is currently the curveball, And it's usually his main pitch to attack lefties. What needs to be improved to the curveball to make it legitimate so where he is using that in his arsenal regularly and more often than he is right now?
3: He needs to be able to command it better. Uh, He throws a lot of curveballs that are just entirely non-competitive. They'll be high in arm side, which suggests that he's just not getting on top of the curveball at all. And when you're leaving a curveball high in arm side, it's not it to a lefty or a righty. You see it out of your hand and you know it's a ball, it's an instant take, it's something you lay off. And when you're trying to throw a curveball in an O two count, one two count to a lefty, it's just uh, a complete waste of a pitch. It's not in the dirt where you may even get like a three swinger like Javi Baez, who's you know, in division and Gavin Williams will see frequently. Um It just it doesn't do anything in the at bat other than add to the ball count. Um, You can see that in his walk rates against uh, his walk rates through splits Um, against righties. He's walking only four percent of the batters he faces, which is a well below average mark. But it's walking sixteen percent of the left handed batters he sees, which really shows that he's struggling uh, against opposite handedness hitters. But when he throws the curveball well and gets it in the dirt. It tunnels very well with his high fastball and shows that if he can get on top of the curveball and continually spike it in the dirt, not even just for a strike, um, he can have a formidable third pitch that allows him to succeed against opposite handed hitters.
2: Wow, that is a crazy rate between the lefties and the righties. That is pretty insane. And I believe that the tunneling would be great off of that fastball. We can kind of look back to a name you mentioned previously, Tyler Glasnow, who has that lethal weapon where he can play on that fastball, and then when that curveball is working, it could spike the dirt before the plate, and people will swing because they're expecting that to go straight down for 99 high (laughs) and away, and then it just drops off the table. So it's really interesting to see that he can take that curveball and make it elite, and we have to wait and see on that. Obviously, he's a rookie pitcher, so we expect big things out of him. And if you could take that next step next season and improve that curveball and locate it better, I mean, we could see some big ups for Gavin Williams next season. But for this season, how confident are you in starting Gavin Williams for the rest of the season? He's already thrown a new high in innings. He's at 130.1 right now compared to 115, which was his previous max that he threw in 2022. But his schedule is currently, as it stands, at the San Francisco Giants, at the Kansas City Royals, and then against the Reds at Cleveland Guardian Stadium, not at Great American Small Park. So pretty good schedule. He's at a new high in innings. He's coming off of a little bit of an issue where he had to leave the game early. But what do you think of him for the rest of the season? A lot of people are entering the playoffs right now. You're already in them. I'm entering mine next week. I think a lot of people are approaching playoff season right now. What do you think of Gavin Williams for the rest of this season?
3: I'm very confident in him down the stretch, Uh, obviously had the just one inning start, uh, last week. And then this week, he had a start interrupted by about a 45 minute rain delay. So even though we went five innings, uh, there was a bit of a disruption, which was weird, but this stretch of games at San Francisco at Kansas city, and then home against Cincinnati, it's about the best stretch of games he's had all season. Uh, despite being called up in a relatively weak division, he's had to go at Texas against Philadelphia, uh, at Houston home against Toronto at Tampa Bay home against the Dodgers. And then two games against the twins. So a bunch of really difficult matchups. And I think at this point, uh, he's gotten enough confidence and had enough success at the big league level where he can really kind of test some weaker lineups and see if he can really go deeper into games as for the innings count. Uh, I don't think uh, if he gets to 145, 146 innings on the year, that's really something that the Guardians are going to be worried about. And it's not too much of a difference between the 130 he's currently at. So I think they're just going to let him go until he gets through the rest of the season.
2: Okay, so that's fair. I'm also kind of high on Gavin Williams, but I have some legitimate questions for you to see who you'd rather, let's say your playoffs start next week. We're going to base it off of that. Would you rather Gavin Williams against the San Francisco Giants or would you rather Lucas Giolito against the Rangers?
3: Uh, That's a pretty easy Gavin Williams against the San Francisco Giants. Their offense has been abysmal and Giolito has really struggled both with the Angels and then now with the Guardians.
2: Couldn't agree more on that. What about Kikuchi against the Rangers?
3: I would also take Williams there. I think that's a great... I wouldn't say streaming opportunity, but a great opportunity for a young pitcher to get some Ks and prove himself. And the Rangers, even though they're struggling, are still uh, a bit of a risk in my eyes. Okay, and the last one, what about Christian Javier against the Royals? Ooh, that's a a good one. I think I would go Gavin Williams again. Wow, Um, okay. I I sound like a homer here, but uh, I think Javier, uh, his consistency has been a little too chaotic for my liking and he hasn't really shown anything or proved anything that we saw last year that got us so excited about him um so i would trust uh what i'm getting out of williams um in that start that some of those other ones
2: that's very fair do you think gavin Williams will be someone that can get a quality start for these upcoming starts where they'll let him go six innings
3: um i'm not sure uh i think he can i would safely say in one of those three games he'll get the six innings okay um I have a hard time saying that he could in two of three or three of three. Um, his pitch counts haven't been an issue uh, for his low winning count. He's just been really inefficient. And uh, going back to the curveball uh, being just completely non-competitive, that's one of the main reasons he runs up these high pitch counts. So I think against at least one of these offenses, he can uh, succeed uh, by just attacking hitters and go later into one of the games. But uh, I'm not sure if his consistency will last over all three of those starts to to get a quality start or work into the sixth inning.
2: Yeah, that's great analysis there. And those are questions that a lot of people are asking moving into their finals. So it's great to see that you weighed in on that. And a lot of people might be making those decisions to drop Giolito and pick up Gavin Williams. So if you are in a fantasy league out there and listening to this, maybe that's a move you think about. But moving on from the rest of this season to next season, We'll play our favorite game, Would You Rather. We kind of already did it, but we're getting into another form of it. This time, we're going to pin a bunch of rookie pitchers against fellow rookie Gavin Williams and see who you'd rather draft for next season. So we'll start with his teammate. Would you rather Gavin Williams or Tanner Bybee?
3: I would go Williams in this situation, which I don't think come 2024 draft season will be how uh, ADP lines up. I think uh, Bybee will go higher due to the... Uh, higher workload and, uh, I think stronger peripherals, um, with a lower ERA, but in this situation, I think I'm going to go Gavin Williams. Um, I think his higher ceiling will come into play next year. And, uh, Bybee has been, uh, pretty inconsistent with his secondary pitches. And I think Williams has an opportunity to take a real step forward, um, where Bybee may see some regression from what we've seen so far in 2023.
2: So I really like Tanner Bybee, but I also am going to take Gavin Williams here. I just think the upside is a little bit higher. I see Tanner Bybee being a fantastic starter for fantasy purposes, but if you're looking for the guy that could be an ace and has just that ace stuff, I think you have to go with Gavin Williams. So I really like both of them. The Guardians are well off with their rotation with having both of these guys in it, but I will also go with Gavin Williams. What about Bobby Miller or Gavin Williams? Who do you have there?
3: Um, so I will finally break from my Gavin Williams hype train and uh, go with Bobby Miller. We did um, it. I think he's, uh, we uh, we finally did it. Uh, I think he's a uh, supercharged version of Gavin Williams. Uh, he's got a better fastball at an even higher velocity somehow. And not only do all of his secondaries grayed out significantly higher than Williams, Uh, they are currently more consistent. Uh, He does have, you know, rookie inconsistency problems, but he's already proven that all of his off-speeds can succeed at the big league level. And I think it's only a matter of time before uh, Miller becomes one of the next great Dodger pitchers.
2: I couldn't agree more. I too am going to take Bobby Miller mainly because like you said, those secondaries, they're currently better. They have a better profile in general. I just like Bobby Miller's stuff a little bit more than Gavin Williams. So I too, am going Bobby Miller, not going to waste any more time on that. I think that's a great call next up. I think this is a pretty easy one because we already talked about it, but we have to ask because these are two big name prospects. Would you rather Gavin Williams or Yuri Perez?
3: Uh, I gotta go, Yuri Perez. And unfortunately, <laughs> it's not particularly close. Um, the interesting thing about uh, Yuri, though, is that even though his fastball grades out by stuff plus better than uh, Kevin Williams is, um, it hasn't as seen as good results. Um, the flip side to that is that um, Perez gets both ninetieth percentile uh, whiffs on both his slider and curveball, which is absolutely absurd. And I think, Perez's ceiling is about as surefire to be a future ace, as you can see. Um, He's just that good, and a full year of him next year is going to be incredible to watch and hopefully uh, benefit uh, from in uh, fantasy.
2: Once again, couldn't agree more. It's Yuri Perez, no doubt. He looks like the most surefire ace out of any rookie pitcher in recent memory, at least. So yeah, I am all aboard the Yuri Perez train. I think he is leaps and bounds above Gavin Williams, unfortunately. And that's saying something because Gavin Williams is really good as well. So yeah, I will go with Yuri Perez. That's the only one on this list that's just way too different.
3: (laughs) It really just speaks to how good this rookie class is. Um, It really feels like a handful of these guys uh, could be uh, the next big thing for their teams, which is really fun to see, Um, especially as the the kind of stalwarts of uh, pitching are fading out with Scherzer and uh, Verlander and Kershaw all slowing down and showing signs that they're maybe reaching the end of their careers.
2: Yeah, it really is exciting. Like you mentioned Kodai Senga earlier, like as a Mets fan myself, I thought he was going to have a great season, but not this great. Like he's been really good. So it's great to see that these rookie pitchers are really stepping up and you can see them being the head of their staff for a time to come. So yeah, really cool to see this rookie class succeeding. But we have one more. Would you rather this one kind of close? Would you rather Gavin Williams or Andrew Abbott next season?
3: Uh, I would take Gavin Williams. Um, I think uh, he, just by tools, is a better pitcher. Um, Abbott has been a little inconsistent, and I think the start he got was uh, a little, not even a little, very lucky. But then he has to face the problem of pitching in Great American Small Park, and even guys who get a bunch of whiffs like Hunter Green or Nick Lodolo still struggle to succeed in that park. And I think that's just going to be too much of a deterrent for a guy this early in his career to succeed. So I'd go Williams again.
2: Hate to be boring here, but I am also going to agree with you. Gavin Williams over Andrew Abbott. I agree. I think there was a degree of skill in what Abbott was doing, but for the majority of it, it was a little bit luck driven. Like There was a lot of things that broke right for Andrew Abbott. And especially, like you said, he pitches in great American small parks. So the consistency, the amount of home runs given up, those might increase. We might see a lot of scaling back for Andrew Abbott. We might see a little bit of regression there next season. So hopefully Abbott figures it out and is able to pitch and be great. We'd love to see that. But Gavin Williams is definitely the answer over Andrew Abbott. So that wraps up the interview with Nate Schwartz about his upcoming article, Unlocking the Ace, Gavin Williams' Elite Potential. Nate, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything that you would like to plug? Your Twitter, any upcoming articles besides this one that you plan on working on? Let us know.
3: Uh, Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at at underscore Nate Schwartz. Um, uh, This article will be coming out soon and then... I have the top shortstops of 2023 coming out in PitcherList's review of uh, all of the best players throughout baseball, which I'm excited to work on. Um, and yeah, thank you for having me on. I always uh, love joining the pod. Uh, so it was a good time as always.
2: I'm looking forward to that shortstop article. That should be really interesting. And I'm looking forward to the release of this one as well. It's a great read. So I suggest everyone go to the Pitcher List website and check it out once it's up. But that'll wrap it up. Nate, once again, thank you so much for your time. We love having you on the pod.
3: Yep. Thanks for
2: having me guys. Now moving on to pitcher and hitter streamers for the upcoming week, John, who are some pitcher streamers to look out for right now?
1: Yeah, I'm just going to preface, um, cause again, fantasy baseball playoffs is a weird time on the waiver wire. People are getting yep. dropped for no reason, stuff like that. So honestly look at your waiver wire. There's probably guys that are like 60% rostered, uh, 50% rostered that, that are really good streams. Um, you know, for example, I've been finding Kyle Bradish on my uh, waiver wire, Grayson Rodriguez on my waiver wire. Granted, it's a 10-teamer, so I have more players to choose from. But, that being said, there might be someone of a similar quality on your team, uh, on your waiver wire. That being said, if you are looking for a couple guys, uh, two options that I don't necessarily super trust in, but might have some shots because, you know, poor, uh, poor uh, opponent mix, Bailey Falter... Uh, of the Philadelphia Phillies going up against the Washington Nationals he's had a couple of good starts which is why I'm kind of going with this recency bias is a great thing and so we'll see if he can turn out against the Nationals the only problem here of course is that Nationals don't really strike out that much so Falter isn't able to take advantage of you know a little bit of strikeout potential that he has to uh, get a good start here so you know Obviously, stream at your own risk. And then other the other one I think is interesting. Maybe you could comment on this. David Peterson, he's facing Cincinnati at home. So that's where he has the advantage here. Cincinnati bats aren't very good away from uh, home when they're away. So that's going to be a shot here. I was thinking Tyler McGill, but he hasn't honestly had a really great season, whereas David Peterson's been at least having an okay past couple starts. So, again, recency bias, really big thing here when it comes to streaming. Are they in a hot streak? And David Peterson is kind of on one right now, so uh, that's those are my two guys that you can maybe look at, but obviously look at your own league context, especially around playoff time. Maybe it makes sense to, um, you know, go out on a flyer and a different different guy who's available because you know he's more rostered or something like that. So yeah, Bailey Falter, David Peterson, and whoever's available on your waiver wire.
2: Yeah. So I actually wrote down a few names for my own personal research, not even for the podcast. So in my own home league, I was looking at streamers and who would be available, what their matchup is for the semis, the finals for my personal home league, and just some names to throw out there if they're out there on your wire that I like the matchups, and I think they're decent streams. Aaron Savale next week is versing the Baltimore Orioles at Baltimore, so favorable for pitchers, and that's on Thursday, September 14th. Kyle Harrison on Wednesday, September 13th against the Guardians. I think that one's not bad. Christopher Sanchez has a two-start next week, I believe, because the doubleheader. But the first start's against the Atlanta Braves, which I'd probably skip on that one. But the next one comes up against the Cardinals on Sunday, September 17th. So I kind of like that one. And then after that, he also gets the Mets. And then I also wrote down a name you mentioned, Tyler McGill. He actually pitches this Sunday against the Twins, which we know Mm -hmm. like to strike out a lot, but also can burn him badly. But the next start would be coming against the Reds at City Field and not Great American Small Park. And that's next week. So... I kind of like that matchup and Tyler McGill hasn't been great this season like you said but he's been great as of late his stuff has really played up as of late because it wasn't there earlier this season he's been horrible but it's been better as of late and Nick's mentioned that I believe as well so I think Tyler McGill, David Peterson are pretty good shouts as long as they're available and that they're versing the teams that they're supposed to be going up against. Cincinnati away from Great American Small Park, the Twins, all decent teams to stream on. So yeah, I would roll with any of those names. Bailey Falter's good. David Peterson's good. But like John said, the fantasy playoff time period is a crazy stretch and you never know what's out there or what's going to be there. So just do a little bit of research, look up schedules, look up who's on your wire, And take the best names available because all that matters is production right now. Like I said, if you have Lucas Giolito, drop him. Pick up any of the guys we just mentioned right now because they probably will do better than Giolito. So it's times like this where you have to really consider hey, who's on my team? Are they performing well right now? And what's out there? And if you can weigh all of that and come out on the other side streaming David Peterson against the Reds, you might win your league because of it. So take deep consideration of what's going on in your league because not all the time can we tell you exactly what's perfect and who to stream for your personal league. So just look around. It definitely helps. And then for hitters, I have one to recommend. If he's out there, he's 45% rostered on Yahoo. J.P. Crawford of the Mariners. The Mariners are in the middle of a heated playoff race, and J.P. Crawford has been one of the many reasons why they've been winning games. Besides his amazing defense that doesn't help you for fantasy at all, He's been leading off for the Mariners and flourishing. In the last month, Crawford has a .444 OBP, five home runs, one stolen base, 19 runs, and 13 RBI. If you need runs and just overall good production at shortstop or middle infield, Crawford has been electric. So if he's out there, go and grab him. There's probably a lot of other good names out there that you can grab. There's a few people like Nolan Jones that's still very under-rostered. He plays all of his games at Coors next week. Ezekiel Tovar is a sneaky pick. It's someone I'm probably going to be using in my home league because I need a shortstop for Monday and Thursday since Thursday's a short slate. So Ezekiel Tovar is a great person to pick up because they get the Cubs and they get the Giants in Coors Field. So I like all of those matchups. So Rockies are good for next week. But yeah, pick up the guys that are hot and have good schedules ahead. Like I said, the Rockies next week, all games at Coors. And J.P. Crawford has been great. So those are the hitters that I recommend for the upcoming week.
1: Yeah, J.P. Crawford, the only thing I'll say about him is uh, my opponent did pick him up. So I guess I'm kind of hoping for some bad vibes, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm joking a little bit about that. But yeah, he's, I mean, he's been one of those guys where it, it's like fringe shortstop, right? Like uh, that's kind of what he's been all season. Yes, absolutely. Um, but that makes him perfect for picking up for a playoff run because he's going to be available on your wire. Um, and he's a guy who, again, you can immediately cut if you need to, cause you're not investing that much capital into him. Um, but yeah, there's, there's still a bunch of guys available, especially those course guys. I think that you mentioned, it's always nice to just check out where the matchups are going to be for the rest of the season, because again, you're not looking to roster a guy for, you know, three months. You're looking to roster him for literally one week. So, uh, yeah, definitely check out those course hitters. Um, Rockies hitters specifically. Um, Uh, when yeah, trying to figure out who should you be picking up uh, for just a one-week stream on your playoff roster.
2: Yeah, and if you lost Bo Bichette and you're just kind of juggling shortstops on the wire, if J.P. Crawford's there, put him in because he's scoring a run like every day. He's putting up counting stats. The Mariners have been hot, and that's all you can want for your fantasy playoffs. But those are your streamers for the week, and that's going to wrap up this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Before you all go, make sure you follow us on Twitter, or X, at ThisWeekPL, and send us your comments and questions. And once again, give us feedback on how you enjoy the podcast. If you liked it, things we can improve on, segments that you really like, stuff that we can do different, whatever it may be, send it to our email, thisweekplpod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter or X at the John K. That's T H E J O H N K E, and myself on Twitter or X at Regicidal. That's R E G I C I D A L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Picture List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to the show. And lastly, sign up for PitcherList Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. And remember, for all of those people that participate in fantasy football, if you sign up for PitcherList Plus, you'll get access to the Discord and the QB list section of the Discord and get all your fantasy football advice there. But that's all for this week. We will be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone.